0: Now you know, to eat good food is to be close to God. See? Uh, You know what they say? Uh, To know God, to know, to have the knowing, the knowing? Knowledge. 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 See, the knowledge of God is the bread of angels. I'm never sure what that means, but it's true anyway. (laughs) Coming up, a film and food review of the heavenly film, Big Night. Welcome everyone to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you again for joining us for Episode 9. This may be the most excited I've been about an episode of our podcast, and you are in for a treat this episode. But before I introduce this episode, I wanted to say a big welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. We celebrate all things culinary and cinematic in film, so if you're a foodie, or a cinephile, or both, like me, this is the podcast for you. We produce film and food review episodes where we give a comprehensive review of a great foodie film plus give you a film inspired recipe or two to try at home. We also do quick bite episodes where we catch you up on great film and television from the past and present There's so much content for you to dive into. Make sure you check out our other episodes and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you so much for all of your support. We really appreciate everybody who subscribes and listens and supports our show. Okay, let's dive into talking about this week's episode. This week's episode is what we call a film and food review. And let me quickly explain what that means in case you don't know. We review a film for both its culinary and cinematic quality. And we do this in three different segments. First, we look at the menu, giving an introduction and some initial thoughts. Then it's time to dine. This is where we dive into the meat of the film, as it were, going into our spoiler review of the movie and breaking it down into our highlights, our favorite film moments and our favorite food moments, plus any discussion about themes or stories along the way. Then finally, we give our compliments to the chef where we give our concluding thoughts and ratings. But wait, there's more. Every film and food review, we give you a recipe inspired by that film to try at home. Each recipe has been tried and tested by me. Every film and food review, we have a guest that comes on to the show, and this is what I'm so, so excited about. This episode, we're so excited to have Nick Charlie Key from the Fantastic History of Food podcast coming on to chat about the 1996 film, Big Night. Nick Charlie Key is a best selling author, and he's the host of this incredible podcast that I'm sure every single person listening to this show will find intriguing, exciting, and informative. And it's a must listen for anyone who loves food. Nick's podcast is full of amazing, intriguing, quirky, unique, and fascinating stories from history all about food, and they are just a delight to listen to. They're fabulously produced and we can't recommend his podcast enough. And so without further ado, we're so, so excited to share with you this week's episode, our film and food review of the 1996 film, Big Night. Here's our conversation. Well, I am so excited to welcome the host of the Fantastic History of Food podcast onto the show, Nick Charlie Key. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for coming and taking the time. It's so great to have you on the show. Um, What I wanted to ask you first is, Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, great. Um, actually, like I was
1: saying to you just off air earlier, this is a, a, a good sort of mashup of my passions. So uh, in my day job, I'm I actually, I'm a videographer, film editor, um, that kind of thing. So I'm very interested in in movies and films, but also outside of that as a hobby, I am very much um, into food itself. I actually have, uh, I actually have a published cookbook um, as well that got released a couple of years ago um here in South Africa where I where I live in Cape Town and uh yeah so it really is a good a good you know amalgamation of all the things that I kind of love and so that's also what led into my podcast about food is because I also actually used to be a, a teacher I studied to be a teacher uh, way back in the day and uh, I taught for four years and I taught history uh, as my as the subject and so kind of bringing history and food together made sense for me as my podcast but now getting onto your podcast it's like It's like the other the other two things that I love coming together. So it really is a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I did ancient history in my schooling growing up, and at thirteen I wanted to be an archaeologist. I don't know if that counts as history, but I've always uh, been interested in that. I think that's why I've loved your podcast because you know food and history, and Mm. they're just I feel like they are perfect little bite-sized episodes. You could just squeeze them in any time of the day, which, you know, I actually intentionally had the pun in there. (laughs) Very good. It's, yeah, so it's awesome. I'm so excited to chat movies. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so you told me about your show. Um, Tell me about your your interest in movies. I hate being Mm. asked what my favorite film is, but I'm going to ask you, and you can give me more than one if you want, but what's sort of your taste in, in movies like?
1: Oh, man. Uh, so the, the problem with this is it always comes like across sounding so snobby if you go, well, I actually have quite a varied taste in movies. But I think the thing is, you know, growing up, I think, um, I don't know. My So my mom um, used to have a friend who owned a video store um, when I was a kid. So when you used to watch on tapes. So I mean, that gives a bit of my age away. But... Um, I used to, we used to kind of just get free movies from from this video store all the time. I used to watch a whole bunch of stuff, but I used to um, be really into musicals <laughs> as a kid, which is quite a weird thing. But um, I used to love Grease, and I used to love Sound of Music. Um, as a kid, I used to re-watch those a lot. But I also used to like really enjoy Beetlejuice as a kid, which I don't know if a kid should be watching that movie specifically, but it's I loved it, especially that de- where they had that whole Deo um, singing scene. Which is amazing, but uh, yeah, as I think uh, you know, as my my tastes matured and and I grew up, I, although not that this is a very mature movie, but I've, as a as a young teen, I loved Ace Ventura. Uh, that was he was like my hero. But <laughs> I don't know how much that, those movies are going to hold up now if I had to rewatch. But um, honestly, I think the movie that I've probably rewatched the most and the one that is probably the most quotable um, would have to be Ten Things Ahead About You. Uh, it's, it's quite a mainstream favorite, but it's probably a mainstream favorite for a reason. It's just such a good movie. It's so feel good. It's fun. It's got a great cast. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, outside, outside of that, I think, you know, it's probably going to be... If you had to say director, I'm going to go full hipster and say um, Wes Anderson. I mean, I really do love Wes Anderson. I, I, and so I think when Grand Budapest Hotel came out, um, you know, I was blown away by that movie. It really was one of the best movies I'd seen for a very, very long time when I went to go see it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love Wes Anderson too. Um, mm. I haven't really reached back into his like older filmography, but um, the first date that I took my now wife on was to Isle of Dogs when that came oh. out, which is also a great movie, has a really great food scene in it too, actually. Yeah. When they do the stop yeah. motion sushi. Um, that is a very awesome. Game. Yeah. Is it, have you got any more, I know you suggested big night for this episode, but are there are any other food movies. Or oh,
1: that's movie? yeah. I mean, so the thing is, the thing is, when I when you first invited me to come on and I was like, oh man, yes, there's so many great food movies. And then I went through your backlog and I was like, "Up, oh, 100 Foot Journey, done. Okay, Chef, done. You know, all of the big ones. Ratatouille, obviously. But I mean, um, I really would have to say, I think um, I listened to the Chef episode most recently of your, of your podcast and I think your guest nailed it. I actually can't remember if it was you or him who said it, but my big takeaway from that movie was exactly what you guys pointed out, was that thing of... Um, most movies need to have that like depressing drop scene, like something bad happens and they have to resolve it, you know? And and that movie just, it just keeps building. There's no, there's no downer in that movie. And you come away going, oh man, that was rad. That was fun, you know? And I think it kind of showed that you don't need to always bum people out, like in a storyline, you can just have a good storyline and have it be fun. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, so that I think is probably my favorite. I actually, I don't know if you've been watching chef show, on,
0: on Netflix? Oh, um, I haven't got to Chef's Show yet. We've sort of been late to the party with like Chef's Table and Street Food. Uh, so we've kind of been going through those series, which have been great, but I haven't got yeah, to Chef's
1: Show yet. I, if, you, if you enjoyed that movie, I really can recommend it. So, I mean, it's, it's basically just Favreau and Roy Choi, who was his kind of food coach, um, or his chef coach before he filmed, kind of going through all the the dishes in the movie. Just recreating them, um, you know, it really is, is is very good fun. But I mean, if you haven't, if you if you're looking for other good things to watch on Netflix, food related, I would highly recommend Ugly Delicious. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah, <laughs> I love that show, so it's all good.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I I really, it was cool. My wife found the um, website of Roy Choi's uh, his recipes from the movie chef. And so I recreated four of them on that episode, which was (laughs) probably not the best idea to like try and cook four dishes and try and have a podcast that same evening. But we worked. (laughs) just had a very big cleanup afterwards, but I mean, I can imagine food is super delicious. Um, Awesome. All right. Now shifting gears to food, do you have Mm. a favorite food cuisine or thing you love to cook often or
1: Oh, yeah so so like as uh, so i married my wife is um half italian half portuguese right so she she um has a lot of sort of very mediterranean flavors with this the pastas and all of the, you know she's very big into into that um so i mean i really do enjoy italian food i mean i don't i don't think there are many people who don't enjoy italian food uh and it's so broad in what you can what you can do with it but i, I also feel like even if i wasn't married to her, i think most people enjoy italian food it's kind of like become a western staple so if you if you're kind of pushing a bit if you're pushing the boat out a bit from from that i think um i really had i really did fall in love with thai thai food and thai cuisine i, I lived overseas for a year um, in south korea which was a very interesting experience and i'll get onto that now but um obviously being so in asia so close to a lot of the, the other southeast asian countries that got the opportunity to travel to thailand and cambodia and kind of just really fell in love with the street food there um and uh i think coming back have have really sort of endeavored to seek out good thai restaurants authentic thai restaurants here in in cape town and we ha- we are quite a metropolitan city we have a lot of different cultural cuisines here so we we're very blessed with that but um yeah, there's a, there's a few. Uh, I had to learn the phrase because the the one Thai restaurant I went to couldn't speak any English, so I had to learn how to to order what I wanted. And so the 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 dish that I, I really love is called Prik Pao Gai, which is a it's a very simple like um, noodle with peanuts and chicken and and a like a very spicy chili sauce. But um, oh, it's delicious, man. It's 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 super great. So, but, but getting back to Korea, if you will indulge me for a second, um. There really hasn't been a bigger cultural shock in, in my life than, than moving from um, South Africa to Korea. I mean, I think that's... I know that you're in, in Australia, as far as I know, near Sydney. Um, I feel like we... <clears throat> Manly? Okay. Um, and uh, I feel like, you know, we all have Western culture. Like, we, we're we very similar in our in our lifestyles. But you move to an Asian country like Korea, and the, the food on offer there is just like nothing your palate has ever tasted before. So a lot of, a lot of seafood, a lot of um, like broths. And I think that it comes out of the history of, you know, sort of the Japanese um, occupation of Korea, where they really didn't have a lot of food. And so they had to kind of really get creative with what they could find. And I think that that kind of stuck. And so even though they've kind of come out of that period, um, a lot of it is still cultural. So you get a lot of these like very thin and watery broths that just have sort of bones and seaweed in. And uh, it's interesting, you, you know, it took me about eight months of the year just to get used to what I was eating and then I ended up leaving. So um, it was unfortunate, but <laughs> kimchi at least has kind of made it out of out of Korea and come into a bit more mainstream um, consciousness these days.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds delicious. It's so cool to have an experience like that. I've been pretty blessed to like, I used to play hockey. So I used to go, mm. I traveled to South Africa to play hockey. Traveled, yeah. Um, traveled to, uh, I've been on some mission trips. I've been to China. Anyway, mm. I think I really enjoyed um, Argentina. I've been to play mm. hockey and I love their culture and cuisine. It's very, it is very meat based. I remember seeing like a vertebrae being laid out, like <laughs> to eat. And I was a bit shocked at that. Um, but I think my favorite place I've visited was probably China. Like, again, you have the Western version of Chinese in Australia, which, you know, is, is yummy, but nothing compared Mm. to just fresh, the home cooked, like food in, in China was just so flavorful. Like it was incredible.
1: Yeah. That's amazing.
0: That is amazing. Cool. All right. Well, we should get talking about big night. Um, Mm. What I'll do is just give a little, a little intro, just so everybody knows what it is. So I'll say a few things, and then I'll I'll check in with you. So, Big Night was released in 1996, and it's the directorial debut of actors Stanley Tucci and Campbell Scott. The film also stars Stanley Tucci along with Tony Shalhoub, Isabella Rossellini, Ian Holm, Mini Driver, and Alison Janney. The plot is as follows: In 1950s New Jersey, two brothers run an Italian restaurant. Business is not going well as a rival Italian restaurant is out-competing them in a final effort to save the restaurant. The brothers plan to put on an evening of incredible food. So, Big Night was a low-budget independent film that was quite successful for independent film standards when released. And it even earned some independent spirit awards, including winning the screenplay, which was co-written by Stanley Tucci and Joseph Troppiano. Um, so, Nick, you chose this film. What sort of intrigued you all? hooked you in i know you had to go on a bit of a search after mm. seeing that we've already done a few food movies yeah so big night i think uh
1: look so i actually hadn't heard of it before um i, I think probably because of its independent status but uh, going through uh what was available it kind of stuck out to me mainly because of the cast so uh, i'm a really big fan of stanley tucci's i mean i'm i wasn't i am not used to seeing him look like this he's so young in this movie he kind of looks like a I couldn't actually tell who it was in the beginning in the very first few opening scenes. I was like, is that, is that a young Al Pacino? Is that a young Mark Strong? You know, he looks like so many of those like young Italian dudes, but um, it's amazing to kind of to see him at that age, you know, but um, I love the cast. I love Tony Shalhoub. I love Sani Tucci, a big fan of many Drivers. Um, I remember, I think, I've, I think I kind of fell in love with her as an actress watching Gross Point Blank. Back in the day i don't know if you've seen that movie with um john right. cusack i haven't seen that one it's just a great movie man it's like a you know hitman kind of but like a hit like an assassination comedy movie i don't know if you can if you can sounds, picture that it's great. sounds so, good <laughs> yeah it's really fun it's really really fun and um yeah so he so she's in that so i kind of fell in love with her in that movie and was very excited to see her in this movie but um and obviously ian home was a was an interesting was an interesting pick. You know, only really having seen him in Lord of the Rings, it's great to see him in a completely different role. Uh, yeah.
0: I couldn't believe it was and, him. I know. And he's, he's very over the top oh, in this movie. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess we can talk about that, you know, when we move on to the next section. But yeah, um, I know I'd seen, I, you know, I'm, I generally sometimes type in Google, you know, food movies just to see mm. where we can go next. And I had seen Big Night. And yeah, I love Stanley Tucci. We did our episode on Julie and Julia, which has Mm. Stanley Tucci playing uh, the husband. Yeah, the husband of Julie Child. And that is uh, a great movie. And Mm. he's just, you know, I feel like he has just such charisma, which I mean, he Mm. really does in this movie too. So yeah, I was excited. It was nice to, I feel like I, with the other movies, I'd either, I hadn't seen them before, I'd heard about them. This was pretty fresh viewing. So. Mm. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. All right, cool. Pardon me. Let's dive in to and chat spoilers. So for those listening, spoilers ahead, go watch Big Night. I watched it on YouTube uh, because it was really (sighs) the only thing available to me. You can, it's pretty great. If you have a smart TV, I just buy it and get it up on there and it works pretty well yeah so go watch this on youtube uh find it. i'm pretty sure you can get it off apple tv or somewhere so go watch it it's great time it's only aaron 45 or if you want to be spoiled we're going to spoil things so Mm. section two it's time to dine let's actually talk Mm. about this film so basically we just start off with highlights so did you have any highlights can be anything
1: yeah. So there were, there were a few, I mean, I thought that the, I thought that it was, I loved just uh, like also coming from my, my, um, you know, my side of things with being like behind the camera generally, I really loved the way it was shot. I think it was really beautiful. There's a lot of really interesting sort of single take, uh, shots that they kind of did in the thing just from a technical aspect. And, um, I mean, specifically that last scene it kind of blew my mind. Just from a from like a like a writing perspective and shooting perspective. I mean, it's a six and a half minute or seven minutes long scene where the camera doesn't really move. It's just stuck in the corner of this room. You watch a, you watch uh you know Tucci's character Secondo kind of come in, and you just watch a man make a, an omelet from scratch, just kind of. The whole thing, and he doesn't really say anything. And Mark Anthony's character, I think Cristiano, is just asleep on the table, and he gets up, and they're just kind of sitting around. And you know, it is, it's such an interesting conceptually to end a movie on it. It it could, I think, it, you know, people could kind of view it as a bit of a downer because nothing happens, and it's slow, and it's quiet, and there's no dialogue. But I mean, I think the whole point is when you're watching a movie like this, you're probably already the type of person. I don't want to sound snobbish, but you're really the type of person that would appreciate the interest factor alone, just from that kind of a a, a shot, you know, and what I thought was really powerful at the end of that is you kind of, and I know I'm jumping way ahead in the storyline here, but uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of coming, you kind of coming off this whole conflict between the brothers, but there's always been this underlying sort of love between the two of them that is kind of very going to be very difficult to break. And so even though they're fighting and they, they, they're really, uh, angry with each other. That last scene is so powerful in the fact that there doesn't need to be words, you know. So they, you know, Primo walks in and sits down, and he just so kind of just gets him a plate, dishes him up some food. They just pat each other on the back, and they don't need to say anything, but they know that everything's going to be fine. And uh, I just loved the the. It was quite powerful in its simplicity. I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved love the ending. I think, I think I'd been watching a few too many, sort of feel good. Movies in that, like, in a lot of the food movies that we watch, like, often they end in a quite nice resolution. Um, mm. You know, Julia Child sells a cookbook and uh, they, you know, in 100 Foot Journey, they start working for each other and, you know, yeah. in this one, like, I, I guess the brilliance of the ending is that it is so ambiguous in a way, in that, like, they are bankrupt like in a few days they're everything's gone. They've just spent all their money on this huge big night of food. And, nothing, <laughs> you know, he didn't even show up. He wasn't even, you didn't never was an invite. And mm. we just left knowing that at the end of the day, at least they're still brothers. And yeah, I really, I think I really like that. I think I was really thinking and dwelling on them. And I think that is the key for me. That was probably the key thing that kept me going through the, film is the like chemistry and the performances of Shaloub and Tucci. Like, yeah, I think they're probably the best, probably the best parts of the movie. Uh, I think yeah. Shalub is probably my favorite as, yeah. as Primo. Um, I love yeah. Tucci. He's awesome in this movie, but you know, Shalub is the passionate character. He knows who he is. He knows that he will always be cooking and, you know, cooking his food. He's not going to compromise on, cuisine he's not going to compromise on who he is and he's shine. i really i really enjoyed his awkward flirting with Alison and jenny's character um <laughs> i think that was hilarious and i love how he's you know looking in the pot to find a reflection so he can do his hair at the end and
1: yeah, yeah.
0: i think i think you that's just kind of you really i feel like i was if i didn't know there were kind of high prolific actors i would genuinely believe that they were brothers
1: Yeah. Um,
0: And I think that bond gives you like themes, you know, they, they really are the themes of the movie kind of clashing. And, and so that makes the, I think that keeps the movie going and yeah, it was probably, probably my favorite thing. Um, I have heaps of others, but yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So, I mean... What I, what I what I also really liked is you know you kind of um if we're going to get into sort of the dissecting of the of the themes and stuff what I thought was great was um you know you've got the two you've got the two brothers who are so rooted in a sort of a similar cultural experience obviously uh, you know Italian roots they come they're very strong and so they both have a very strong family feel and very strong um you know cultural ties but uh, they couldn't really be more different in their outworkings of their personality so you've got you've got primo who's your classic temperamental artist type who believes in the you know the purity of his work and he doesn't want to compromise and then you've got Secondo the brother who is the businessman who is very willing to compromise on the art if he you know in in so that they can make money you know because it's important to make money and so you kind of got these two clashing i think it's a fairly big theme in a lot of movies that sort of art versus commerce type theme uh, and I think that they they pull it off so well, uh, you know. And uh, what I really loved specifically, one of the the first scenes, um, which which laid the sort of groundwork for the lighter undertones, was that was the the risotto scene with that very American woman going yeah but where's the spaghetti you know and you, you've got you've got Tucci's character who's trying to pacify the situation please the customer make money and Secondo throwing pots and pans in the kitchen and ready to storm out and confront her because why don't you understand Italian cuisine
0: yeah I love loved that scene um I think I do like I think the, the script is really great in that like it ends on that kind of, down, well, what could be seen as a downer, but is a really kind of great thematic ending. But there's so many mm. great moments of humour and that, yeah, that works so well. And, yeah, I think it's so great because it that scene happens and you have, you know, you have the, oh, we'll just order a side of spaghetti. We'll just order a side of meatballs. Like, we will still get what <laughs> we want. And, and, you know, Prima refuses to do it. And then we see... Um, we see Secondo go over to Pascal's that night. Mm. And what's the first thing he sees on their table is this huge plate of spaghetti and meatballs. And yeah. it really does, you know, it really is a big wink to the audience being like, yep, this is exactly what you need to do to succeed in America with Italian cuisine. Like no one's willing to wait the time. Like he's Primo's cooking this from scratch. He's putting all of his love and passion into it. But there's no appreciation. There's, Mm. I love also the guys like, do you want some cheese? And (laughs) giving cheese for like five minutes. And I thought that was hilarious uh, because I love cheese, but also it's a good little tiny metaphor of just American excess, really. Like in with pecorino cheese or parmesan, you only need just the sprinkling on top of something because it's such a strong flavor. But Mm. um, yeah. And so, he goes to Pascal's, he sees the, the, the flaming dish and he is just thinking, this is what it takes to succeed. Yeah, I really think that is a key pivotal theme. I think that's, we see Chalub never give up. Like he has a number of rants about how the cuisine is just being destroyed by the other side. And I think at the end of the day, like Tucci says to him, he, he never compromised once to make their restaurant mm. a success in their big beach scene. But I do think mm. you see Shalub slightly, uh, sorry, Primo, but you see him slightly compromise and soften as you see how much this means to Secondo and actually letting him have the big night was mm. a sort of compromise. Like that wasn't really, he didn't even want to do it for Pascal at all because they weren't on great terms, but even mm. him just having the big night, you see him relaxed, you see him in a great relationship you know, that, that they're really, he's, they both like each other, him and Allison and Jenny's character. And I think that mm. uh, is another cool little way the theme is discussed. Like, Secondo, he doesn't know what he wants. It says, says a lot of time, like, uh, identity is probably a big theme. You know, Shaloub knows what he wants. Primo knows what he wants. Whereas Secondo, he's got a mistress, Gabriella, and he has uh Phyllis, who is his American girlfriend who's unwilling to uh, kind of move the relationship along, unwilling to propose or get married because he's caught in between those two worlds. And like mm. everything, he's caught between the world of supporting his brother, whom he obviously loves and defends, versus his dream to become successful, to earn money and to be a part of the American world. I think you see that when he goes to look at the Cadillacs with... Yeah. Um, with that, uh, with that shady business dealer, which is hilarious because he gets introduced to the dinner scene, and the first thing he says is, "Oh, do you drive like the other car?" Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. I think I think it's it's quite a funny movie, but it also isn't shallow. Like I think I love that it probably is a quieter, less Hollywood movie than maybe people were expecting, mm. and it sort of challenges the audience a bit. And it's almost like a Shaloub primo dish. Like it is kind of filled with passion and love. And yeah, I think I really appreciated that as the movie went along and I guess my, not even expectations, but sort of what I was thinking the movie would be kind of fell away, I guess.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, it is a, it is a challenging it is a challenging watch. I think I, I think I expected it to be lighter than it was, but not, not to its detriment. I just think that was my misguided, you know, expectation. But I think it, you're right in the sort of the sense between the two. He's, you know, he's kind of juggling the difference between old world Italy and new world America. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that kind of also plays out, like you said, in his relationships. So he's got old world Gabriella Rossellini, uh, character and Mini drivers phyllis you know the new young american girl and and so he's kind of caught between these two worlds in more than just one of his you know uh, expressions in life and i think you i think you're right with that scene in pascals i don't think it really i don't think they portray uh america i don't think american culture comes off very good in this movie um it sort of it really just comes across as you know excess um uh, you know uncultured sort of M- more, more quantity over quality. Uh, I think you know, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that um what was also nice to see between, and obviously Alison Janney making an appearance was great. Her, her, um, being one of the the characters in Ten Things I Had About You, <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh, it was a great little t- touch point there for me. But I, I really loved um the difference that it brought out in Primo's character between his sort of really fiery. Feisty, confident chef side, um, and then he kind of becomes this bumbling schoolboy around her, and it's great just to see the the contrast in his character uh, in in between those two different scenes. Because I mean, Tucci's character, uh, Sockondo, kind of stays the same regardless. He's always that confident, you know, slick businessman type guy, but but Primo's character really does have a lot of facets to him in terms of the situation that he finds himself in i don't know if you agree
0: yeah oh yeah i 100 percent agree and i think uh touching on that point of the of it being set in the 50s and the american mm. culture not getting a good rap i think i did a bit of reading and um i know it was probably not the great timing but i sent you a an essay which <laughs> i highly recommend you read because it was i didn't find much out there research wise for big night i don't I think it kind of fell under the radar for quite a while. And there's mm. a few articles now picking up on it, but this, uh, essay was talking about how in the fifties, uh, there was sort of no room in on the table, literally for any other cuisine other than American cuisine. And that the, mm. which I found fascinating that the culinary schools were basically getting a large majority of immigrants through like maybe 50% of their, uh, students every year. And that, they were being forced to sort of cook American, t- uh, speak English, and, you know, pledge allegiance to the American way and uh, a bit of a crossover. But like Julia Child's book, the Art, you know, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, is kind of attributed to leading to a bit more of the food revolution, I guess, in America, where some more cuisines outside of the Americanized kind of cuisines that we see in the movie, start to be introduced, and I think that mm. was pretty fascinating for me to sort of research and find out because they really are like it. Amer- it just to be honest, it really just does not put a great light on America because mm. it's often touted uh, as a place where people who you know. And I think Secondo says this himself that if you work hard, like America is a place where you're meant to succeed and where dreams can come true, and it's the American dream, and he works hard, and so does Primo. They work really hard. They produce really good stuff, and it doesn't work out for them. And I think I found that a pretty fascinating aspect of the movie. Uh, to as a message, was often you mm. get these movies uh, where the main conflict is resolved by the end. You know, they have to overcome pretentiousness or prejudice or something where one cuisine or one type of food or people is not viewed the same as the other. And I guess the, that isn't really conquished, like, uh, con- you know, conquished. I don't even know if that's a word, but <laughs> that's not even, you know, that's not even really dealt with like that yeah. kind of gulf between. Yeah. Art and commerce, I guess, like succeeding, like that to they would've had to compromise their, their food and their cuisine to actually get through. And so I guess that's a really interesting thought, that the filmmakers have made is going. What do a pair of immigrant brothers do when they've mm. tried their best, uh, as best as they possibly can, to maintain their own culture as an immigrant in America? Um, the essay mentioned, like that, is one of the last things that people will keep, like hold on to, as they move mm. into a new place. Um, as you know, like food has a massive part in everybody's life and has, evokes strong memories of being back home. And flavors and all those kind of things, and so yeah, I guess I found that really kind of confronting and challenging, that kind of heartbreaking that they would actually go, um, they would go through all of this and not come out at the end. And so yeah, and I do, I think Tucci, I think by the end he probably realizes that it was probably a, a no-win situation really like mm, he yeah. in that last scene like he seems like he's pretty hopeless but I I love that he's even thoughtful enough to like you know Primo isn't even there but he chops the omelet into three pieces and yes. intentionally saves one because he knows that um he knows that Primo is going to come and I thought that was really nice like I think in terms of filmmaking like often you get films that and scripts that will really really hit you on the nose with it but I think I think maybe the script will fall into it sometimes in this movie, a couple of times, maybe, but, and maybe Mm. one performance in home. But, (laughs) um, but I think, I do think like that ending is what filmmaking, you know, what film is about, like having those Mm. performances and the thing all portrayed visually in that one shot was really nice. And Mm. I think that reminds me of the, the ocean in this movie. I kind of, picked up on it after, but the first scene is uh, Mark Antony's character. What uh, I can't remember his name. What's Cristiano. It? Cristiano, that's right. should remember that. Um, <laughs> he was coming back from the ocean, having a little break, and he comes back to the restaurant and it seems like, again, Shalhoub and Tucci and a bit of a tiff and it's the night and it's kind of a place of peace and almost a place of cleansing because that, mm. that final act is mini driver going for a swim when she's found out that she's being cheated on and she's Mm. just absolutely devastated because everything's sort of fallen apart for her and she goes for a swim and basically washes herself of the men in her life really and then that's the final kind of confrontation too between primo and secondo where they Mm. finally are able to realize that america is well being in america is eating them up and tearing them apart and yeah it's pretty pretty cool metaphor i found or kind of visual part of the movie um yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah, i think that it's um you know you kind of get to that point at the end of the movie where those themes of of, you know authenticity versus compromise kind of come through really strongly again the, the you know the 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 difference in authenticity and compromise kind of come back in with the with the choices that they're left with after you know this big night and they they now go well if we want to stay in america we're going to have to go work for pascal and compromise on our quality and compromise on our belief system and we don't even like this guy now um you know or we go back to rome and we go work in our uncle's restaurant there and you know, stay true to who we are, but but lose out on this this sort of dream that we both had of what life could be like. You know, and so I think it's it's an interesting position that they get to. That like you say, they leave it up to the audience to kind of imagine where it can go from there, because there's no resolution. But <clears throat> I do feel like we kind of know they're not going to go work for Pascal after Tucci has that that or uh, Secondo has that confrontation with him when they find out that, you know, this big man that he promised Louis Prima isn't actually going to arrive at all. And so, um, and that really bummed me out actually, because I think that, you know, you kind of, even in these films, you kind of, you, 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 you condition to root for the good guys that things are going to go right for them. And so when it doesn't, I was so bummed. I just wanted to like, it's like, why did you do this to them, man? And you obviously know he's, he's very selfish, is a selfish man. He's, he's larger than life and he only really seems to care about himself. And I'm talking about Pascal here. Um, yeah. And I mean, on top of that, if you're talking about things that bummed me out, I was so bummed that he chose, uh, well, not that he specifically chose, but kind of ruined things with Mini Driver, uh, you know, to, for Gabriella Rossellini. I was just like, I don't know if it's just I have a personal crush on Mini Driver. I don't know. But <laughs> I was like, why? Make the better choice.
0: Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so, I was definitely rooting for him and Mini Driver to go the distance. I was also a mm. bit like, mini you know he's too good for, he's no you're too good for him like yeah, really yeah. like you've helped you helped in the kitchen like you've always sort of been there to support him and they did seem like they had good chemistry so yeah i was i was bummed about that i will say yeah. um yeah and i guess i was rooting for them and you it is like it is just classic cuz you get that big moment the big night which is such a fun 30 minute scene mm. like yeah, obviously probably the best scene in the movie and you're going wow this this is actually like in a weird way art and commerce sort of have come together in that they yeah i reckon they did sort of make a compromise shalib was like i don't really want to do it for this guy but i'm willing to and tucci was like well you can cook the best food that you can all the recipes and these people came and they were absolutely blown away by the food. Like, and we'll talk more in depth about that later, but mm. I think it is it is sort of cruel to the audience because you go, wow, these guys are so talented. They, we, You're rooting for them to succeed. And in a way you've sort of watched, like I, I checked the movie today, like the last hour of the movie is getting prepared for the big night. Like wow. it is really like how they spread it's so, so well. I feel like it is well edited. Like you see them... But, you know, buying, getting the ingredients and going about their day, getting set up. So you, you feel so invested like in, yeah. the, in, you're almost like you're preparing the food with them. And yeah. yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it is, it is a bum that, that you just, doesn't it work out? Um, mm. Yeah. I think I love yeah, I loved how it was shot. I love the music. I thought the music mm. was really great. I, it was uh, very think, very good i think they they used either you know they used some songs like had a soundtrack in there but also some original music which was either this kind of plucky guitar or almost like these or these like bongo drums or some mm. kind, I'm, I'm not amazing at instruments but i love music in movies so i don't yeah. really know how to describe it but i just found it sort of had this nice sort of energy to it that sort of kept you going through the movie, which I really liked.
1: Yeah. And I think it was a, it was a good, like offset sort of juxtaposition to some of the more like serious undertones that were going on. You, you've kind of got this happy upbeat sort of Italian village music that's kind of playing over that, you know? And I think that that it kind of helps to, it kind of helps to lighten the mood in some instances, but also to reinforce the mood in other ones. But um, it was great. And I, one of the other scenes that I re- well, it was actually so interesting because I was watching with a friend of mine who is also very into film and into food. And so we, we kind of watched together and his comment in the very first scene when they kind of go into the kitchen just before the risotto scene is that uh, it felt from the, from the lighting and the framing, um, it felt like I was watching an, an episode of Faulty Towers. I don't know if yeah. you, how it just felt. I mean, it didn't it didn't continue through the rest of the movie, but in that beginning scene, it felt, and even the the sort of levity of the moment, the lightness when with the with that whole when the risotto argument happens, it felt very much like in the yeah. kitchen. And I, maybe it's, maybe it's also because shaloub with his big moustache, has a, a look of Manuel about him. Uh, it just felt very reminiscent of of watching old Fawlty Towers episodes, which I really loved. I mean, I thought that was great. But
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they really lean into their comedy chops. Like they're it's so hard to do good comedy well. Mm. I think a lot of people kind of see I love like I love comedy. Um Mm. and been binge watching like my you know the last five years a lot of good comedy stuff. And I think it often gets sort of underrated like, oh he's just a comedic actor or they're just a comedic actor and wow they can do Mm. something dramatic. It's like, no, you have to nail Comedy, like you have to be able to make these situations funny and not seem over the top or not sort of underdo it. Yeah, and yeah. I think, yeah, I think that the chemistry is so good. Like when he just opens the door and he's like, "You, should, you tell the customer, like, <laughs> tell the customer, you know, tell the customer, yeah. you tell him." And he's like, "No, they're a philistine. Yeah. I'm not going to tell him." And so, you know, we we don't know yet, but he's actually really shy. Like there's no way that he's going to go out and tell that yeah. customer no, but.
1: But it's also amazing how, in that moment, you kind of the that it's like unintentional prop comedy that that swing door was such a comedic. You know, like how how can you know? It's interesting to think how you can make a door funny, but just the action of it swinging open into them and closed and back open onto them, and they, you know, oh, I thought it was great. It's those little moments that are so genius.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, another good one, which I was a little bit taken aback by, is when he's talking to Pascal. And he's got the light right in front of his eyes. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I, could, I was like, what are you doing here? And I kind of got it. I was like, okay, it's a bit of a metaphor because when he knocks it down, then the light is covering uh, Secondo's eyes. So it's almost like Secondo's going in. He's trying to convince Pascal to come over. And then Pascal's like, no, smash the light down. And now Secondo is almost being pulled along and conned. And I thought that was cool. I, it took me a while. I was like, that's a choice. That is a directorial yeah, 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 choice. Yeah. But I did find that, you know, even when he smashes the light down, it was kind of a wink at the audience being like, okay, we understand that you are like, what is going on? Does your, you know, videographer, cinematographer know what is happening in the frame? <laughs> like, there's this big light in the way. But um, yeah, I think this movie is funnier than it has every right to be and yeah it's a lot of you know good comedies like good writing but also good physical comedy too i'm a big mm. fan of like i love yeah, arrest i love arrested development if you've yeah. seen that show and that is like love the it. peak of writing and physical comedy like they're so good at it anyway what are yeah. you going to say
1: no, I was going to say that, that that exactly on that point of physical comedy, but there's always that fine line between when, when physical comedy becomes slapstick, you know, and it, it definitely wasn't close to being slapstick. It was just really good, you uh, yeah, really good physical comedy. And I, and I think that that light scene was so interesting just from, um, you yeah, know, because obviously you go like that has, to, there's no ways they could miss this. It's blocking a dude's face. Like there's no ways they can miss that. But it was interesting because it was such a, it was such a, um, Oh, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's such a bold choice of metaphor or visual metaphor that they're using in that scene that doesn't really get repeated anywhere else. There's nothing that's sort of as, excuse the pun, in your face uh, as that scene. So I think it makes it s- stand out a bit more, you know, in in contrast to the other sort of physical humor that, that comes through in the movie.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, cool. If, there's, if you have any other things to mention, just bring them up. But I thought let's talk about food. Yeah, please. Let's talk about our favorite food <clears throat> moments. Uh obviously we've kind of got to all of the scenes. I'm going to mention a little one first and we can get to the big night dinner scene later, but I really mm. loved when they're getting it looks like basil from the market <laughs> guy. And yeah, just I just I love market scenes in food movies. I don't know why, but I just know that when you're going to buy you'll get ingredients for something, that's one of the co- great things about cooking. Like you are looking for the best ingredients and you're getting excited. I don't understand people who don't like grocery shopping. Like I love going food shopping. Like it's the best. Yeah, me too. So, me too. Uh, and I love basil. Mm-hmm. Like basil is probably in my top three herbs, maybe my number one herb ever. Mm. Um, and so I I felt I was with Primo right there. Like that is not that is not good looking basil. Like I was not <laughs> happy for him. So, I love that little scene. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any favorite food moments? Um, well, yeah. I mean,
1: I, I I did love that scene. I think that um, I know that. Uh, yeah, like you're saying with the basil, it's definitely a favorite of mine. And specifically, obviously, because of Italian cooking, with my wife, and we use it we use it a lot. So we kind of grow we grow a bunch of basil here. It's very temperamental. Um, when I try to grow it, it's not always successful, but it's good. But, uh, we, and it's also, I mean, it's also good in a little gin and tonic, you know, a little sprig of, of, uh, of basil. It's always, it always adds a little mm. bit of flavor there, but, um, I think that, I think that, I mean, we've, we've spoken about the risotto scene and, and then later on, I think what I really enjoyed was that they did that sort of tricolour, like Italian flag dish of, of the different flavors of risotto, which for me, um, I mean, I do enjoy a good risotto, but I would, lo- I was just in that scene, I was going. Oh, I just want to taste those. What do they taste like? I'm just so, in- I'm so intrigued. But I know that um, that to make risotto, man, it's tough to get it right. And I know, I don't know. Uh, obviously, you in um, Australia, one of we, we get all of the Australian Master Chef that comes across here, and so we watch all of that. And it's kind of like the the well known death dish. You know, no one seems yeah. to be able to ever get it right because it's so difficult to get it done properly. And I think that. That also adds weight to the whole thing of how good uh, Primo is as a cook. That he can just make so many variations of this really,
0: really tough dish. Yeah, hundred percent. I love risotto, and mm. I don't want to seem too prideful in this, but risotto was the first thing that I made my wife uh, when wow. we were dating. And that's brave. Yeah, I'm much. Yeah, like I'd cooked it before, but you know, and I had housemates tell me that it was good, so. Yeah, you know, it's this uh, beautiful, mu- you know, mushroom risotto. <clears throat> the key is to buy a really good wine, and mm. and good quality stock. And it's a lot of time and a lot of love and a lot of stirring. Like you are stirring yeah. and adding stock for a good hour. Like it is a wow laborious process. But when you get it right, like you know, I've I feel like I've almost basically got it. But yeah, when you get it right, it is so incredibly delicious. And in terms of what recipe we're going to do, um, I haven't cooked it yet. I had a good idea. I was like, maybe I could send you, we could both cook it, but mm. um, I know qualms if you don't want to try it. Cause it would be a big thing. Um, I was like, oh, on Mondays I try and it's one of my days off. I try and get cooking for the, for the show, but I was thinking I can make my risotto and then add maybe a pesto to one and a a mushroom yes. to another and a cheese to another. Uh, mm-hmm. I already got told no seafood. I'm yeah, sure no, no. I'm,
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not a huge seafood fan myself. I mean, I enjoy certain types of seafood, but I'd be happy to, to do a seafood-free. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah my wife too. Like we, we like seafood, love Japanese, but I just, yeah, mm. we just weren't keen on the seafood risotto. So it was either that or the timpano, which we'll get the to. The timpano. But I think <laughs> yeah, the we'll timpano we'll is going to be way too hard. I think I can actually sort of replicate, replicate the triple risotto. So I'm going to mm. give that a go. I guess you'll see by the photos when I put it up, yeah. whether it is actually any good. And I'm going to insert myself or my wife saying how good it is right here. Okay honey, I've been in the kitchen, I've gone on many grocery trips to recreate this iconic tricolour risotto from the movie Big Night and you are now tasting it. Tell me your thoughts. Amazing. I couldn't decide which one to try first. In the end I went with the pesto. It's so yummy, really fresh and zingy and the basil's really beautiful. And then I tried the tomato one and I think the creaminess really comes through in that one. It was really fresh and bright. Um, and then I tried the beautiful mushroom one and, wow, those porcini mushrooms um, are beautiful, aren't they? Mm. Really nice, rich flavor and just being able to um, alternate between bites of all three is really special and decadent, really, to have three different risottos in one meal. It's lovely. Thanks, what, honey. What did you think of the presentation? Beautiful. It was like a flag. Very nice. Yay. Yeah, let's just get to the big night dinner scene. Obviously, there's the triple risotto, which is incredible. It looks so delicious. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really wanted the pesto one. I love pesto, so I wanted that. And then obviously you get like probably get a two or three minute scene of them making the timpano. So you know Mm. the billions of eggs and the flour and cutting the pasta, and then you get the big reveal of the timpano at the end. And fun fact. Stanley Tucci said that the Timpano was terrible. The one they cooked in the movie, (laughs) like they'd made it, they they wanted to get the slice perfect Mm. for the shot. And I think they did. You know how he says, like, I've cooked it too hard. Like they genuinely cooked it too hard. He said they all spat out, like the actors spat it out. Unbelievable. Yeah. So there you go. I've just ruined the movie magic there, (laughs) but. Oh, it's a killer as
1: well cuz I mean it looks so good when it comes out, you know, and I, but the thing is that you, it's always that's always the thing that I struggle with when I'm making uh like a lasagna or anything that's kind of held together by a pasta, you know, uh is that either you if you if you under if you do it slightly too little or if you don't let it rest long enough, it just slops everywhere. And so especially for a scene like that, you can't really shoot a sloppy timpano coming out, you know. And I watched um I watched, uh, I don't know if you've, if you watched Binging with Babish on, uh, on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, big fan. And, yeah, yeah. and did you, did you watch his uh, Timpano uh I hadn't video? got to it yet. I didn't, I
0: hadn't realized he'd so, done one. That's so cool. I yeah. Watch it.
1: Um, so I watched, I watched his Timpano one from Big Night, obviously. And, um. And yeah, so I don't think he has enough time to let it rest properly. But you can see what can you can see what can happen because his one, when he cuts the slice out, it's like he is trying very hard for this thing not to fall apart. And it's very loose and and um, not sloppy. I mean, that's not the right word, but it's like it's just very loose and very temperamental. It looks like it could fall apart at any moment. And so you compare that to the one from the movie. The movie's one was definitely rock solid.
0: Yeah, I'm like it is it does make sense when you think about it because it's almost a pie but using pasta mm. as the mm. as the bit that holds it all together. Like obviously pastry is designed to sort of do that a little bit better than pasta. Like you kind of mm. know on a lasagna that you're going to you're going to be able to get your square and eat it and you get a little bit more leeway, but I guess that is the structure of the mm. dish. And there's just so much like I mean I'm a big sucker for seeing people hand make pasta in a movie Mm. or so good. I follow an account on Instagram called pasta grannies. It's amazing. (laughs) Basically it's like people who submit their grandmas or their nonnies in Italy, hand making pasta, just videos of it. Wow. So if you're into that, (laughs) it's pretty great. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be into that very shortly. Yeah. 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 And it, but yeah, so much good stuff in it, like boiled egg and
1: that was a surprise to me. If I'm honest, the the boiled egg caught me a bit off guard there. I was like, I, it's not something I would have thought to add to a, a dish like that. I mean, I, I mean, I enjoy boiled egg. I just it felt it felt out of place, kind of. I wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it works flavor wise, but I, I was just I was surprised by it.
0: Yeah, I've made a uh, uh, a lasagna before, uh, like an eggplant lasagna that's had boiled egg in it as part of the okay. layers, but not like full boiled egg. Like you would crumble it up and add it to the layers mm. and that was pretty nice. I think for a, a, we eat mostly vegetarian at home for my wife. And I think for that, it adds a good level of protein to a vegetarian Mm. dish. So yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, I mean, you're not getting, you're getting a little bit of flavor from the yolk, but it mostly will blend into the, to the sauce or whatever you've got in the dish. But yeah, so those were the, probably the two biggest things. There was a beautiful fish. There was a, there was a pig like a full pig. <laughs> the little suckling which, pig. Like, yeah. Suckling pig, which just showed out of nowhere. Like I had no idea that they were going to do that. And then like a bunch of chickens, there was bread everywhere. There was so much wine. There was garlic and beetroot and just so many different dishes. Mm. Like mm. it was, as I was saying to me, it was just like, I was like, I was going into that slightly disappointed about the amount of food in the movie. And mm. cause I was like, we're at, like an hour in, like, you know, I'm yeah. wanting a little bit more food, and I think that definitely helped was that amazing yeah. <laughs> party scene
1: that's um it's so great because my um like i said my my wife is Italian and her father was born in Italy and grew up there and moved to South Africa as a as a uh, sort of boy but um about two years ago we actually had the we had the privilege of being able to go to visit. I think it was for his 70th birthday. We kind of, he took the whole family because she's one of um, four siblings um, and all of them are either married or in long-term relationships. And so there was eight of us as kids and the two of them, we all, they took us all to Italy to go and see his village where he grew up. Um, And I mean, it's, it's like the most sort of authentic, it's what you picture when you picture like authentic rural Italy. It's like this tiny little village up on this hill, you know, I'd say probably about 20% of the houses there, like no one lives in anymore because it's just so far out of the way. Um, and they took us up into the, the the one day, one of his friends, this guy called Giuseppe, he could speak no English, took us um, all in this big bus and he, he kind of drove us up into the mountains to this restaurant up on this hill in the middle of nowhere. So, it's, you know, I think we, were, it was a massive restaurant. It was so weird because it was the middle of summer, massive restaurant, we were a big table of, you know, 10 or 12 because we had some some add-ons. and um, But there was maybe two or three other people in the whole restaurant. And so um, they just really, really packed it on for us. And so watching that, that big feast scene on the big night was so reminiscent of this, this afternoon that we kind of spent from about one in the afternoon until about eight o'clock that night, nonstop eating. And they would just bring out dish after dish after dish after dish. And so you get to kind of dish four or five and you're going already like oh man i shouldn't have eaten as much as i did in dish two and you don't realize but there's still about another five dishes to come out it's like a 10 course meal and eventually we got to the we got to the point where um i said we all started hiding our plates away so they could stop dishing up food because they just would refuse to not let you eat and so the guy the one the one uh the head chef kind of came out and um he had these oh, they were like I think they were like meatball type things. But he he kind of came around, he saw we didn't have plates and he started freaking out. So he just went and grabbed forks and he just started sticking these meatballs onto forks and handing them out like little meat lollipops to everyone. <laughs> but um it's such a it was so reminiscent of that moment, I think for me, of going like, Wow, it really is Italian culture to just to not overfeed people, but it's like a it's almost like a spirit of generosity, you know. Um it's which, which I think was represented so well in that scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is more than just the food. Like they, they're dancing and they're like, you know, having conversations. And I really liked like they're playing the ring game at the end, um, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was pretty funny. And yeah, that's right. I think it really does capture that part of the culture and the cuisine is the generosity. Like, I think that is, Their food is obviously incredible, but I think a big part of why it's such a beloved cuisine is that there's a lot of love and passion and generosity that comes with it. Mm. Um, There's a big, you know, there's a big difference between being served excellent food in a sort of new aged brick wall, a kind of cold gray restaurant with kind of gastronomical Chefs yeah. doing new experiments. I don't know if you're into that, but compared to like the warm hospitality and generosity of eating food anywhere, but especially, yeah, like yeah. that sounds like a dream. Being in an Italian village and served course yeah. after course. Yeah, no, I mean,
1: it's that you're right. You're so right, and I think it is. i'm so I mean, I I can appreciate. I think I you know like you, I think I could probably appreciate good gastronomic food if it's you know but i think that my natural bend is 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 i i love leaning into the sort of the passion and the generosity of that sort of that sort of food more do you know what i mean like i i I think that if you look at french cuisine i think people generally the maybe it's just because it's the classic you know all the cooking schools kind of do french but you know french cuisine is always is always held up as being really really good but you don't really ever see people get Oh man, I've got a, I've just got a craving for some French food. Do you know what I mean? People get a craving for Italian food because it's so homely. It's, it just makes you feel so good and warm inside, you know. So I think there's something to be said for not necessarily quality over quantity. I think it's, it's, it's not that. That's the differentiator. I think it's kind of, it's passion and love and generosity more than quantity.
0: If that makes sense. Yeah, and and yeah, it's interesting because would you call like. Primo pretentious for sticking to his cuisine. Like, I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't use that word to describe his character. But in other movies, like in The 100-Foot Journey, the French restaurant is particularly described as being pretentious and seeing themselves better. And, you know, it's not every French cuisine. It's not every French chef. It is probably a common Mm -hmm. stereotype. But um, I do think that this movie highlights just how much that it's just everybody's welcome. I love that. Like everybody gets invited no matter who you are. Like the guy who (laughs) sells the car salesman. (laughs) Yeah. The car salesman, the guy who sells him the bad basil is there. I'm pretty sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Everybody's welcome. And, and it's, it's just such a great thing that everybody's invited to Mm. the table to partake in the food. It's a thing that unites them. And yeah, I think that is probably one of the, my favorite things about the food. Like it is, Again, it does play like, I, I love great food in the movie, but I love when it's sort of part of the themes too. Like you have this, you know, fresh, amazing food that does sum up sort of the art side, you know, it is a piece mm. of art and it is passionate and there's, you can taste the love and all of that being poured into it. Whereas Pascal's restaurant has all of the entertainment factor. Like it's this red lighting and there's someone singing and there's, the fire on the thing, but really they're just being served pretty plain pasta with meatballs on it or Mm. whatever it is. Like I've almost got it the other way around, like at Primo and Secondo's restaurant, it's, you know, decorated with paintings that people have brought in to pay for food. And it's pretty austere Mm. and they're really just letting the food sort of be the main attraction. And so, yeah, I just think that they did that really well. And obviously like the ending is a really great little food scene that is part of the metaphor too, like yeah. uh it is interesting because you don't really see Secondo cook that much in the movie. Um mm. it really I think it may be the only time that Secondo actually cooks is when he makes a simple omelet, omelet a simple omelet for yeah, for Cristiano and Primo. So yeah, I I th- I really like that. Mm. i
1: i i'm just gonna i like that you touched on it and i think that it was also great as the as the theme of um like hospitality and generosity you know they they're struggling for money they are about to go bankrupt but they'll still let their friend come in and and eat for free essentially but and just pay them with these paintings that primo seems to really like if secondo could take or leave you know he doesn't really seem that passionate about the artwork but he's even invited to the the big night feast as well, which I thought was quite a nice little touch. And, you know, and I definitely think I'm I definitely think I'm diving too deep into um, looking into, you know, themes and things. But if you look at the difference between Pascal's restaurant, it looks upbeat and fun and everyone's having a good time, but it's still everyone at the individual tables is is having a good time at the individual tables. If you look at the big night, it's like everyone who's in the restaurant is together. It's one big family table. No one there necessarily knows each other. They could have very easily have, have had that big night but have had everyone at separate tables, but they, you know, they chose to kind of make it a big family meal. Everyone kind of together. The dancing all happens together. You're making new friends while you're eating, and I really love that that juxtaposition between the two between the two sort of experiences of the same cuisine
0: yeah oh 100 uh and there's no such thing as going too deep i love it um <laughs> gotta analyze analyze everything mm. all right well um in terms of anything else that you want to mention we can talk about it otherwise we can move to our final section and give our sort of final thoughts and ratings if you want to do that yeah let's go for it Yeah. All right. I call it compliments to the chef because mm. it's what you do at the end. So <laughs> this is, in terms of our ratings, we do like, you know, I have a love hate relationship with ratings. Sometimes it will be like films don't need to be rated. You know, they are mm. what they are, which I do agree with, but also they're kind of fun and really mm. at the end of the day, it's just a fun thing to do. And I, we don't really need to put that much weight in it, but it's fun. So yeah. A film rating, basically what you'd give the movie a score out of 10 for the quality of the movie, how you engaged you were, blah, 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 emotions, and then a food rating, which is quality of food, quantity of food, how how vital is it to the movie, all that kind of thing. So mm. I can start if you want with a film yeah, rating. Go for it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, I thought about it. I think when I left the movie, I was going to give it a lower rating than I'm going to give it now. And in terms of flaws, like we didn't really chat about flaws. I do think I don't know, I do think Ian Holm maybe just does it almost a bit too much at some points. Like I find him very enjoyable, but he pushes it a bit far. And I do think the script maybe flirts with being a bit too over the top at some points. So I, I'm kind of gonna settle on an eight out of ten for the movie. I think it's very well produced. I really like the music. I really like it's sort of measured pace. Like it doesn't really strive to be this quick edited fly through thing with lots of crazy over the top scenes. Like it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful character study that you kind of move along with and kind of feel and yeah. So I'm going to go with an eight. What about you? Um,
1: Oh man, I just thought of this now and it's, it's so lame and cheesy, but I don't care. I'm going to lean into it. Um, So I think I completely agree with you about, um, about coming out of that movie, I think I probably would have scored it lower than now. Almost a week later, being able to kind of like let it sort of sink in. And so here's my here's my um cheesy dumb analogy. It's like a it's like a timpano. You know, you've got ah. to let it rest for a while. You just got to let it rest for a while, and it's going to be. It's... <laughs>
0: no do it it's good um you know what i mean
1: so like i think you come out and if you if you judge it too too quickly i think you're right i probably would have given it about a 6.5 seven ish um and and not because it's a bad movie really it's not i think i think maybe it's also it's it's so much of so much of life's experiences are also about what's happening in life in and around that experience and so you know like um the unfortunate truth is that we have like a, a one and a half year old son who is going through some really bad sleeping at the moment, and so like, just generally watching this late at night, um, really being you know like, just feeling not super on my best game. But the more that I kind of have have reminisced about it and and watched uh, you know some other things around it, I think it, and even just chatting to you now about it, I think we you pull out all these kind of themes and you pull out all the the, the great parts of it, it makes you go there's a lot there that I think I didn't, I internalized, but not necessarily consciously during the moment. And so you kind of come out of it. And, and I would say, yeah, I mean, I, I think like you say, there's a reason why it got such crazy good ratings. If you look at, if you look at um, any sort of online rating, I think it got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, that's, there's not many movies that, get, that score that high. And there's a reason for that. And I think, I think that it's a good it's a good cultural study the, like the, the juxtaposition of American culture versus authentic Italian culture. It's a good character study between the brothers and between, um, you know, old world, new world, especially where it's set, I think was quite a pivotal time in America as well for where people were going. And so if you, if you give Tucci his due as a director, writer, actor uh, for this sort of, I don't know if he actually wrote it. I just said that. I don't know if he did. He did. He but, did. Um, he co-wrote it with someone. He? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, he was he was integrally involved in the sort of whole process, and I think yeah, I think you've got to actually go no, like congratulations, well done, you you pulled off an amazing thing, um, and so yeah, I, I'd probably give it an eight point five, I think, you know, which is a quite a quite a big jump from where I was at, I think, immediately afterwards.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, completely agree. I love the timpano. <laughs> it's so good. No, it makes so much yeah. sense because. Yeah, I think, it, I, and I really like movies that grow on me. Like, mm. I prefer that than the other way around. Like, I prefer to not leave a movie and go, oh, like, and then your mind is suddenly poking holes in it. Whereas this mm. one, I felt like maybe the ending, the last act sort of leaves you on a downer first watch. and I, I'm kind mm. of keen to really go watch it again because I think I would real now that I know what I'm expecting, I'd really sort of enjoy being back with the characters and going on the journey. So, Yeah. All right, yeah, so let's go I to agree. food rating. So uh, basically, look, it wasn't going well until we hit the hour mark. I was yeah. going to rate it pretty poorly, but I think the dinner scene saves it. The only criticism I have like, all the food's excellent. It's really well photographed. Like, it looks delicious. Quality's amazing. Um, and it works so well into the themes. Like, we've already chatted about that. How. It's this uh, you know, spirit of hospitality and love flowing through this food and the juxtaposition with Pascal's Restaurant and the scene at the end. And so, yeah, my, my the only way it loses points for me is just there's probably about 45 minutes to 50 minutes where you don't really get much food. Mm. It's all kind of working towards the big night and they're doing great character work like the Cadillac scene and the scene mm. where you find out that, Secondo's cheating and all that kind of stuff is really, you know, the movie doesn't really work without it. So I'm not really criticizing the movie for it, but I think I'm also going to settle on an eight with the food.
1: Yeah. And I think that I totally agree with you. I think, uh, it, you know, especially for a podcast like yours, you're going to be, you're probably going to run up against a bunch of movies that, you know, cause there's a, there's a limited amount of movies that are going to be solely around food. And so it's going to, going to be about how good is the food when it comes in the movie, you know? And so I think, For this movie, which is which is touted as being a food film, I think there is a lot more to it than just the food. Um, And so, I think if you if you go okay for when the food arrives, how is it? You know, how much do they show you of it? Because I think what I really appreciated was was being able to see the the preparation scenes. I really enjoy those sorts of things. And so, getting a look into the kitchen at the preparation, at um, at the end product, at how people interact with the food their enjoyment of it how that food influences the people and the the scenes i think um it's it's really important to kind of go you know it's how good is it for what it is and i think if you look at the amount of food they made at the um at the risks they took i mean i've never seen a timpano before in my life before so i was introduced to an entirely new experience of food and so Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for the moon and give it a nine. I, I thought that I thought it was amazing, and maybe that's also got a lot to do with, like I was telling you, my experience of it. I think it resonated so much with me that it kind of took me back to that place. And I think that's also the beauty of what food can do is that it, like, uh, it can stir memories in you, and it can it can take you back to happy times in your in your life just from flavors or experiences or smells. Or and even though we couldn't necessarily taste or smell it just seeing it in that experience took me back to a really, really
0: happy memory. So it's a nine for me. Awesome. Such a good rating. Um, great. So if I quickly do my math correctly, that gives us 8.5 plus nine, 17.5 and then mm-hmm. plus a 16. So that gives us 34.5. I'm pretty sure out of thought, that's forty. That's a pretty yeah, that's high hard. score. So I yeah. think it deserves it. I think this is a, terms of recommendation, I think it's only an hour and 45 minutes. Like it's really well paced and Mm. it's a really, I think it is more than just a food movie. Like I think it's a great character study, Mm. great cultural study. And yeah, it's a big recommendation from me.
1: Yeah, and I think what's also nice about it is it's a bit off the beaten track for people. It's not, you know, like like you like I said earlier, you know, when you say food movies, I, I named all the ones you'd already done because they're, the, they're the, not the obvious choice, but they're the ones that are most sort of in the public consciousness. And so being able to experience a movie like this, which I think, like I said, I'd never even heard of before, hopefully hopefully people will resonate and go have a look at it and, and spend some time watching it and just go, this is a great movie that I, I, I'm I glad I have now know about.
0: 100%. I think it's definitely a hidden gem that anybody will love. I think anybody can watch it, which is a great thing. And yeah, it's a recommendation. So that's about it. I think, um, before right. we, before we wrap things up, where can my listeners probably less listeners than you, but where can my listeners go and <laughs> find your podcast or your work? How can they find you on Um,
1: yeah. So for my podcast, The Fantastic History of Food is pretty much available on all of the major platforms. Um, I have a website at foodhistorypodcast.com. I'm also on Twitter at foodhistorypod uh, on Facebook as well and on Instagram, but I don't really do Instagram as much as I do Twitter and uh, Facebook. But um, yeah, I mean, you can just go f- go search for it on on any or whatever platform people tend to use i think i've um, i'm about to hit episode 20 now so i release kind of on a two-week schedule just because you know it's like it's not my full-time job i I do this as a hobby in the evenings and so the researching takes a lot of time so um there's a lot of stuff there that you can kind of listen to and uh i just try to take for people who don't know it i I just try to find interesting stories uh, from history that somehow involve food and so it's not, it's not necessarily a food history podcast like, in, you know, what is the history of this cuisine or what is the history of this ingredient? It's more like not, uh, Hitler during World War II once had a plan to try and monopolize the margarine market. And he did that by potentially trying to go and corral a whole bunch of whales down in Antarctica. So it's crazy, weird stories from history that people maybe have never heard about that somehow involve food. And so that's just a little brief overview.
0: So good. I think that's, it's such a cool podcast. Like, honestly, what really do you want more from a podcast? Like you can read history in a book. Like this is the perfect medium, <laughs> I think, for those crazy unique stories. So yeah, I've really enjoyed listening and thank you. I really recommend to my audience to go and find your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. No worries. Well, thank you again for coming mm. and chatting with me. I think it was such a fun conversation yeah, um, what a treat. Yeah. Look, we'll see how we go. But you're always welcome back if we if we find oh, another movie or something we want I'm to so do. Gl- I'm so, so
1: glad you said that because, uh, hey, look, I don't want to monopolize your time. But down the line, I'd love to come back and, and yeah, do some more yeah, yeah, yeah. cool stuff with That'd you. That'd
0: be awesome. Yeah, This is not a full-time job for me either. So on that sort of two-weekly sort of basis, roughly, as well. But mm. I think, yeah, I'd love to have you back. So. Great, man. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that about does it for this week's episode, a film and food review of Big Night. Thank you again to Nick Charlie-Key from the Fantastic History of Food podcast for coming on the show. It was such a great conversation, so thank you again, Nick, for coming on. Again, make sure you listen and subscribe to his podcast. It's full of informative and exciting food history stories that are so well produced. And this is a huge, huge recommendation. You can find all the links to Nick's work on the Fantastic History of Food podcast in the show notes of this week's episode, plus on all of our social medias. But if you can't wait, just search Fantastic History of Food in your podcast player. If you love the Film and Food podcast, why not have coffee with us? coffee is a website that allows fans to donate the price of a coffee to their favorite artists the film and food podcast will always be a labor of love that will be free to everybody who wants to listen to us but if you would like to support our show and help us in the expenses and keeping this show on the air then you can donate the price of a coffee to us on our coffee page the link to that is in the show notes of this week's episode, plus on our social medias. Thank you to all who have generously donated and for supporting the show. If you enjoy this podcast, can I ask you a favor? Can you give this a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts? We are still a brand new show that are hoping to get into the ears of as many people as possible. And so by you leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we go up the rankings and get into the ears of people who need to hear our show. Thank you again to Archie Beth, Nona Eats, and Real Reviews Film for your five-star reviews and ratings. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Himalaya, Player FM, Pocket Cast Radio Public, Google Play, Deezer, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Basically, wherever you find podcasts, we will be there waiting for you. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. That's fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And And join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, all at filmandfoodpodcast. Let us know how you went with the recipe. What did you think of Big Night? Give us feedback, suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening.